Red Bull in ruins, a rookie's maiden points, and the end to a record-breaking winning streak. This week, I'm talking all about the Singapore Grand Prix. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syra, and this week we're talking all about my absolute favourite Grand Prix on the F1 calendar, and that is, of course, the Singapore Grand Prix. I absolutely adore this circuit. It's the original night race in F1, and I just don't think there's another night race that hits the way that Singapore does. The cars just look incredible under those custom-made floodlights, some of the helmets that the drivers bring into this race. It's just stunning. And Singapore always promises to bring some drama, some action, some unexpected twists and turns, and I love it for that. But before we actually get into what happened during the race weekend, let's just have a look at some of the news we had in the run-up to the race. So we had TD018 coming into play this weekend, and that was the technical directive the FIA had issued that was basically clamping down on flexi-wings. Now, commentators were saying that this was a technical directive, even though it was issued ready for Singapore, we weren't really going to see the effect of it until Japan. So I think Suzuka, when we head out there, is going to be the race to really see whether this whole new technical directive with the flexi wings is affecting any of the teams. Some of the biggest news that we had coming into this weekend, though, was the fact that Alfa Romeo have re-signed Zhou Guanyu for 2024. Now, after summer break, when Zhou Guanyu was doing media, he said that, yeah, he was expecting to re-sign with Alfa Romeo and he was excited to do that and just to iron out everything that needed to be done. From the sounds of it, though, it seemed like quite a certain thing. So I wasn't going to be surprised at this re-signing until I started hearing rumours. Rumours surrounding Zhou Guanyu and the fact that Alfa Romeo needed more sponsorship money, basically, and they might be looking for a different driver because of that. Someone like Theo Porcher, who's currently racing an F2 and in contention for that F2 2023 championship. So I can't lie, that did put me on edge a little bit because I was seeing these rumours a lot around social media. But thankfully, Alfa Romeo and Zhou Guanyu have re-signed. Alfa Romeo have said they're keeping the exact same driver lineup with Valtteri Bottas, Zhou Guanyu, and then using Theo Porcher as their reserve driver in 2024. So, silly season, once again, not silly seasoning. We haven't had any massive movements on the grid. I don't really think there are many more seats left to confirm at this point. The AlphaTauri seats are still a little bit up in the air, but it is basically going to be between Yuki Tsunoda, Liam Lawson and Daniel Ricciardo at this point. And then as far as I'm aware after that, I think the only other seat we're really waiting on is Logan Sargent's seat with Williams. They seem to be trying to give him as much time as possible to improve, try and get up to scratch with Alex Albon a little bit more. But we are going to have to wait and see with that one. And I feel like that Williams seat is something that will be announced closer towards the end of the season. But it is Really amazing news for Zhou Guanyu. I am a fan of his. I think he's improved so much this season compared to his rookie season. And in the two years he's been in Formula One, he's not yet been able to drive in his home race, even though it's been scheduled on the F1 calendar. So fingers crossed, he's going to be able to go home to China and race at the Chinese Grand Prix in 2024. I've got a feeling he's going to have a very, very welcome reception there. 
We had two teams bring in some pretty major upgrades to the Singapore Grand Prix this weekend. McLaren had a pretty massive upgrades package that they would bring in. Nine upgrades in total, all of them would be on Lando's car. So those included things like the floor body, the halo, the engine cover, the suspension, the beam wing, a lot going on. It was quite a big upgrade package that they were bringing. Oscar Piastri had some of those upgrades, but not all of them on his car. So I don't know whether they'll be there for Japan. I would think not. So probably after this break, when we go to the Qatar Grand Prix. AlphaTauri were the other car that were coming in with a very heavy upgrade package, a lot of aero upgrades. They had things like the floor body, the floor edge, the diffuser, the side pod inlets. AlphaTauri, I think more than McLaren, were a team that were definitely going to be hoping these upgrades worked on the car because it's just not been a brilliant car for them to work with this year. And they definitely need a better baseline to work off ready for 2024. So I think those were some of the biggest pieces of news coming into this race weekend. I think the re-signing of Shogun Yu was the biggest one at this point in time. And on top of that, yes, we did have Liam Lawson once again racing in place for Daniel Ricciardo, as Daniel Ricciardo still recovers from that wrist injury and surgery that he had. Free practices on Friday and the first half of Saturday were actually pretty straightforward. We had some lizards in FP1, just making an appearance around the track, getting in some of the drivers' way, but still a fairly normal session. FP2, Alex Albon did face a bit of an engine issue. He said that he didn't really have enough power. Very early on in the session, that was as well. They got him to box and it wasn't long before he was out of the car. Whatever issue he was having, Williams, I think, were pretty confident that wasn't going to be something they'd be able to fix in one session. So he'd gotten out of the car, lost a lot of run in there, which wasn't great. Williams were coming into this weekend saying this wasn't going to be a very, very strong race for them anyway. The Singapore track layout had changed from turn 16 to 19 that entire section was now a straight. So it wasn't something that the drivers were used to and they needed to get the lay of the land a bit more. They needed to get the race simulations in. FP2 was going to be the perfect time for all of the teams to get the race simulations in. So a little bit gutting that Alex Albon obviously lost out on that session and it was a session that all the drivers needed. Red Bull throughout FP1, 2 and 3 were a car with both of their drivers that were struggling so, so much. For Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, and neither of them just seemed to be at one with that car. It wasn't really moving the way they wanted it to. It seemed a little bit twitchy. They weren't getting the qualifying or race pace out of it that they necessarily wanted to. Red Bull had said this was probably going to be their weakest track of the season with the car that they had. But there were also just, I think, fundamental issues that Max was facing that I don't think were necessarily to do with the car being weak at this track, things like his upshifts and his downshifts that he really, really was not happy with. But yeah, I think FP1 to FP3, or three of those sessions for them, probably the weakest ones they've had this season so far. Those upshift and downshift problems ran into an hour before quali. There was still being work done on Max's car in that hour lead up. So it was something that they really were trying to figure out and just get on top of. It was sorted out in time though and he did manage to get on track. And I don't think we heard any of those upshift and downshift problems from him for the rest of the weekend. 
although I wasn't specifically listening to his race radios or looking at his onboards, so he might have been complaining about them later. But as far as I can tell, it was a problem that was sorted out. Q1 was actually going okay. We had a bit of an incident with Logan Sargent and Lance Stroll for impeding, but right at the end of Q1, we had an absolutely horrific crash from Lance Stroll. It just looked awful. It's been quite a while since I've seen a Formula One car break like that. And it wasn't something I think anyone was really expecting. And the audible gasp me and my family had when we saw him crash like that, it was just insane. Looking at his onboards and the interviews that he had given afterwards as well, Lance had basically said that he knew he was down on time on that lap. It was the last flying lap. The checker flag had already been waved. He knew he was down on time. He knew he wasn't getting quicker. So he's hoping to make up a lot of that time during that last sector. Had just gone for it, put everything he could into it, went over a curb. The car slipped, did not like it, couldn't control the car and it went into a wall. And obviously, being a street circuit, there are limited runoff areas anyway. It's not like a traditional circuit where there might be a bit more gravel or just some runoff area where it'll slow down the car a bit more. Street circuits traditionally, very limited runoff areas. They just tend to have barriers and walls around them. So there was nothing there to really slow down his crash and lessen that impact. Thankfully, Lance Stroll did get out of that crash absolutely fine. He managed to jump out of the car was able to tell his race engineer down the radio that he was okay, which I was so thankful to hear that radio. That was definitely a testimony as to how far the FIA have come in terms of safety with these Formula 1 cars. For him to have gotten out of the car, not just gotten out of it, but jumped out of it with no visible injury to be able to walk and talk, a huge, huge testimony to the amazing work the FIA are doing in terms of driver safety when it comes to the car design. And that is what you want to see. The thing is, when you watch motorsport, you know that there are going to be crashes. There's no getting away from it. It is the nature of the sport that we watch. But when we see those crashes, what you don't want are massive injuries. You don't want to see drivers get hurt in any way, shape or form. So it is just about trying to make those cars or those vehicles as safe as they physically can be for the drivers. Following that crash, Lance was taken straight to the medical centre, which was completely understandable given the amount of G-force that crash probably had as well. But he wasn't cleared. The FAA medical delegate said that he was fine and that he was okay to go. But on Sunday morning, Aston Martin made the announcement that Lance Stroll would not be running in the Grand Prix, which is completely understandable. They said that he was still suffering some after effects from the crash. It did look like he was shaken up quite badly during that crash, so completely understandable that he just needs a little bit of time to rest and recover. And on top of that, Aston Martin did say that it was going to be a fairly big engineering job for the mechanics to get on top of the car to repair it and have it ready for the race. Honestly, when I saw the wreck that car was in on Saturday, I thought even if Lance is completely fine to race... I don't think the engineers and the mechanics are going to be able to get that car ready for the race. It was going to be a massive, massive job to do and the mechanics were probably going to have to work through the night to get it done. So I think it was in the best interest of both Lance and his mechanics that they just pulled out of Sunday's race. Main focus now is to get him ready for Suzuka. I'm sure he is going to be fine. 
but my best wishes to him and I am really, really glad that he came out of that absolutely okay. What that did mean though was that everyone that was behind Lance Stroll before that crash was unable to finish their fast lap and Yuki ended up in P1 in Q1. The AlphaTauri in general, with the upgrades, looked a little bit better than usual and looked like it could have a bit more of a promising race. Now, do I think Yuki would have stayed P1 in Q1 had that crash not happened and the session been red flagged early? Probably not, but I think he would have been safely into Q2 anyway. Q2 was where the biggest shocks came from, where we saw both Red Bulls knocked out. Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. Now, like I said, Christian, Max, Red Bull themselves had come into this race weekend saying this wasn't going to be a strong circuit for them. Did I think it was going to be that bad that they weren't going to make it into Q3? Absolutely not. And for not just one of their drivers, but for both of their drivers not to be able to make it through into Q3 is insane. There has been a Red Bull in Q3 during qualifying for the past 102 races. That streak was broken in Singapore. And that 102 race streak is a testimony to the consistency that Red Bull has had over the years. That's not an easy thing to do, but I'm not quite sure what happened to their car for Singapore, but it was absolutely awful for them. By Red Bull standards, this was not good. Honestly, I think that was the biggest shock in qualifying overall and the fact that it was Liam Lawson, the rookie, in the sister team's Alpha Tauri that was the one that made sure that Max Verstappen didn't get into Q3. Absolutely insane. Definitely not something I was expecting to see. Not something I think most F1 fans were planning to see this weekend. And you know what? Let's add on to the little bit of crazy here, guys. Both Red Bulls have managed to be knocked out in Q2, but both horses got into Q3. In the end, we had Carlos Sainz taking pole position in Q3, and we did have the chance of a Ferrari front row lockout until George Russell rocked up and took P2 from Charles Leclerc. So it was going to be Sainz, Russell, and then Leclerc in P1, 2, and 3 for the race. Now, after qualifying, Max Verstappen had three different investigations for impeding that he had to go and attend a summons for. Three of them, and he managed to get away with all of them. He got reprimands for two of them, I believe, and Red Bull got a fine for two of them. And then the other investigation that he had, I think the steward said that there was nothing that needed to be done. Now, for me, this was a little bit interesting, right? For the two reprimands that Max Verstappen got, it was cited that Red Bull should have communicated with Max. So they were mainly to blame because they had a lack of communication. They should have told him that there was a driver coming up behind him. And that's absolutely fine, right? Because we've had instances in the past where a team have just failed to tell a driver, there's a driver coming up behind you on a fast lap, well, you're on a slow one, you need to get out of the way. No issue with that, right? But interesting that Max got given reprimands for this when those other drivers who have been in pretty much the exact same situation have been given grid penalties, even though it was stated in the documents as well, that the team was at fault for not telling their driver that there was another car on a fast lap coming up behind them. 
We had Charles Leclerc in Monaco for impeding, who got given a three-place grid drop. Pierre Gasly in Barcelona, a three-place grid drop. Kevin Magnussen in Belgium, three-place grid drop. Instances where the team hadn't really told their driver that there was a car on a fast lap coming up behind them and they had impeded. So I don't know whether there are changes to the rules in place, whether there are specific nuances that we just don't know about or understand or loopholes within the regulations or whether Jonathan Wheatley did an absolutely amazing job at standing in and fighting Max Verstappen's case to make sure that he didn't get given a grid penalty. But yeah, I just think it's a little bit interesting that we are seeing a tiny bit of inconsistency in terms of impeding grid penalties and reprimands. I completely understand when it is a team's fault for not telling their driver about something. I don't think the driver should really be held to blame for that. They can't see everything that's going on. We've seen the side mirrors of an F1 car. They are tiny. How any of the drivers can see anything in them is insane to me. But they do have to rely on their race engineers who have all the data, who can see the telemetry, to tell them what's going on on track, especially if there's another car that might be way further down on a fast lap that the drivers just can't see yet. So I completely get the cases there of a team being fined and a driver being given a reprimand. But looking back at some of these other drivers then, I don't think it was right that they were given a grid place penalty because of it. But anyway, that was Saturday. That was everything that happened in qualifying. Max Verstappen didn't have to take any grid penalties for what happened. And we were going to start with a 19-man grid on the Sunday because, like I said, Lance Stroll had been pulled out of the race. Zhou Guan Yu ended up starting from the pit lane after he broke Park Fermi. Alfa Romeo changed a lot of things on his car outside Park Fermi, was outside the allocation, I think, for some of the parts as well. So he was taking a pit lane start because of that. And then we finally got to the race. So let's just do a couple of highlights from this race before I have a look at how each of the teams did. And it was quite an up and down race. We had pockets of a lot of action. I feel like the start was actually a little bit slow. I can't lie to you. It was after we had our first safety car, I think, where things really started heating up and all the pit strategies came into play. First half of the race, though, I felt it was a little bit slow. Drivers were just settling in, finding a good pace, looking after their tyres and looking after themselves. Singapore is a physically and mentally exhausting race for these drivers. Humidity, the heat, the amount of concentration they need because it's a street circuit. The turns are coming at them quite quickly. There aren't runoff areas if anything goes wrong. There is a lot going on for the Singapore Grand Prix. Turn one, lap one. Thankfully, there were no incidents. The biggest thing that happened was Lewis Hamilton going straight through at turn one and then eventually having to give those two places back to George Russell and Lando Norris. George, I completely understand him having to give that place back to. He did overtake him off track, gain that advantage. Lando Norris, I didn't think he had overtaken him off track. I see the argument some people have where people were saying he didn't actually complete the move on Lando Norris while he was on the racetrack. It was actually completed off of it. 
And in the end, the stewards and the race directors did advise Mercedes to have Lewis Hamilton give that place back to Lando Norris, which he did do, else risk a five-second time penalty. So that was that. That was, I think, the most action we really had at Turn 1. And because we were following all of that, what TV direction did end up missing was an incident between Checo Perez and Yuki Tsunoda. The two of them ended up having contact. It didn't look great for Tsunoda. He got a puncture. His race engineer told him to slow down and stop on track. He managed to find a safe place to stop. So thankfully, no safety car had to come out that early on in the race because I think that would have messed up some people's strategies potentially. I know some of the commentators were wondering why with a puncture Yuki Tsunoda had stopped, surely he'd be able to trundle slowly back to the pits, get a new set of tyres on and come back out. But the contact between Perez and Sonoda actually looked quite intense. It looked a little violent. And then add to the fact that it was his race engineer that told him to stop. I'm assuming there was damage that they could see to the car or to the engine or something that just wasn't quite right. And they were worried about him going around the full lap and then taking it back into the pits. So... Yuki Tsunoda did not make it past the first lap in the Singapore Grand Prix. I don't know whether that contact had also caused some damage on Sergio Perez's car because he wasn't really making any inroads during this race. He was still in P13 on lap 10 and Max Verstappen and the other Red Bull had actually managed to slowly make up some places. Lap 20 was when we started to get a little bit more of a race going on. And sadly, it was a little bit at the expense of Logan Sargent. Logan Sargent, who had just gone on at turn eight, straight on, hadn't managed to turn the car and broke his front wing. And that front wing was wedged under his car as he thankfully managed to get back to the pits to get it replaced and get a new set of tyres. But oh my gosh, I would love to see what the bottom of that Williams car looks like right now, what his floor looks like because the damage it must have picked up by having the front wing scraping underneath it all the way to the pit lane must have been quite bad. But because of the debris that his front wing had left on the track, we ended up getting the first safety car of the race. And so continued the lovely streak of there being a safety car at every single Singapore Grand Prix. Majority of the drivers, I think bar drivers that had started out on the hard tyres, had opted to come into the pits. And I think the only drivers that were on the hard tyres at this point were Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez and Valtteri Bottas. So the majority of the grid ended up coming in because they were either on the medium or the soft tyres. Ferrari and Mercedes were going to have to double stack their cars because of how close they were. Mercedes didn't have an awful double stack, to be fair. Ferrari, on the other hand, it wasn't great. I don't think it was so much the fact that the double stack went badly, more than the fact that Charles Leclerc ended up having to be held up in the pits because of oncoming traffic. Lando Norris and Lewis Hamilton and George Russell were all coming in. So even by the time they had serviced the car, put the tyres on, they had to hold him up for a little bit longer and he ended up losing his places to George Russell and Lando Norris because of it. I don't think there was a whole load that Ferrari or Charles could have done about that, to be fair, though. If they'd let him go and try to get the jump on Lando and George, all that would have happened is that Ferrari would have been noted for an unsafe release. 
they would have been fine probably and Charlotte Claire definitely would have ended up with some kind of time penalty. Talking about time penalties during the safety car period though, Fernando Alonso, the sole Aston Martin that was racing at the Singapore Grand Prix, had a little bit of bad luck. He was going into the pits ready for his pit stop, locked up and ended up crossing the solid white line twice. And you aren't allowed to do that in Formula 1. Once you are in that pit lane, you've crossed over that white line, you can't cross back over it. You can't make a last minute dash into the pit lane or then suddenly decide, you know what, I don't want to pit, I'm going to go back onto the racetrack. You're not allowed to do that. Once you've committed and you are past that thick white line, you can't jump over either way. He got given a five second time penalty for crossing that thick white line, which I did think was a little unfair. It was obviously something that he hadn't done on purpose. You could see very, very blatantly he'd locked up his tyres and just couldn't control the car because of it. But he did end up being given a five second time penalty because of that incident. We then had a little bit of racing going on once that safety car had gone back in. Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, because they hadn't pitted, had moved further up the grid, but were very, very quickly getting eaten up by the rest of the grid and the people around them because they were on older, harder tyres. Everyone was on a fresh set of hard tyres around them. And by lap 30, Max Verstappen was saying it was like driving on ice. I don't think the hard tyres were holding up as well as what any of the drivers were hoping that they would, as well as what Red Bull were hoping that they would. And they did keep Max and Checo out on those hard tyres for a little while longer, even after that radio message came in. We had another VSC come out on lap 43, and that was really, really sadly because Esteban Ocon had to retire because of a suspected gearbox issue. Let's just forget about the fact for a minute that this is Esteban Ocon's fifth retirement of the season. Let's forget about the fact that this is a back-to-back DNF for Esteban Ocon after he also retired in Italy. But what made this DNF feel ten times worse for me at least was the fact that it was Esteban Ocon's birthday today. And he had posted on Instagram before the race saying that there was no better birthday present than racing on his birthday. And I'm sure it's something that most drivers actually really love, especially when it's a circuit that they enjoy as well. But there was just no such luck for Esteban Ocon, who up until that point was having a really good race. But yeah, that DNF did end up causing a VSC. I think because he had managed to retire near an escape bro, they didn't need a full safety car out. They just needed the drivers to slow down a little bit so that car could be pushed safely out of the way. Now, I thought some of the drivers would have opted to pit at this point. Even though it's a VSC, you're not going to save as much time as you would during a safety car because of the way that the Red Bull hard tyres had fallen off during the race. I thought the drivers that had pitted for those hards during the safety car would have opted to come in. But in the end, the only drivers that did opt to come in and pit during that VSC were Mercedes. And I think that was mainly because they had managed to save an extra set of medium tyres during practice. So that gave them, I think, the chance to put on just a brand new slick set of tyres, not a scrubbed set. And I think what they were hoping was that even though it might mean they would initially fall behind the front three a little bit, 
that because they were on a new set of tyres and what is technically a quicker set of tyres with the mediums, they should be able to get past those ahead of them quite quickly. And it did work for them pretty well. It wasn't long before both George and Lewis had managed to catch up with Charles Leclerc and overtaking him actually didn't take as long as I thought it was going to. But it was when they got to Lando Norris that things got a little bit more difficult. There was just such a game of cat and mouse going on. Carlos Sainz leading that pack giving Lando Norris enough DRS so that he could defend against George Russell, but then uh, pulling ahead enough that Lando Norris wasn't able to actually battle with Carlos. Because what Carlos didn't want was for George and Lewis to pass Lando, because on those fresh set of tyres, on the mediums, they would be able to get past him. So a very good tactical game going on, but I think it was actually a pretty interesting and good strategy call from Mercedes. Whilst all of that battle was going on and as Lewis and George were trying to catch up with Lando and Carlos, we did have Valtteri Bottas retiring because of an hydraulics issue. Thankfully, he managed to get into an escape road, managed to retire off of the track, so we didn't end up having a VST or a safety car because of it. On the very final lap, though, as George Russell was chasing Lando Norris, as Lewis Hamilton was chasing George Russell, as Carlos Sainz was trying to defend his provisional race win, George Russell ended up clipping a barrier and then crashing his car. And what an absolutely gutting race end for the Mercedes driver who had driven so, so well, driven as hard as he could in his Mercedes, trying to get a race win, trying to get more than P3, to have his race ended like that and pick up absolutely no points in what was the last couple of corners, if not the last corner of the race. I can't imagine how upset him and his side of the garage must be feeling about that. It really was a mistake that any of the drivers could have made and it was just unlucky that yeah, George, like he said in his interviews, it was just a millisecond lapse of concentration. The rear nicked the wall and he just lost control of the car after that. But as the drivers crossed the line, it was Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari that broke Red Bulls and Max Verstappen's current winning streak. He brought home his first win for this season, his second win ever, his second win with Ferrari, and one absolutely beautiful race from him and a beautiful place to do it in. Lando Norris came in P2 and then Lewis Hamilton in P3. Charles Leclerc was behind him and Max Verstappen, even though that Red Bull was not the easiest car to drive this weekend, still managed to come home in P5. So absolutely not an awful race for him, even though Quali was a little bit of a nightmare. But let's have a breakdown at how these teams really did this weekend and what went on. Starting off, obviously, with Red Bull. Overall, this wasn't a horrible, horrible weekend for them, right? Max Verstappen still managed to come in at P5. A top five finish, considering he didn't even manage to make it into Q3, is an amazing result. But considering what they've been like the entire season... I think it's fair to say that this was an awful weekend by their standards. I think in general, this just wasn't a great racetrack for them. 
probably one that they're going to be very happy to leave behind. I am very curious though whether they know exactly why that Red Bull doesn't like Singapore. They knew it was going to be a weak track, but do you know exactly why? Is it something that you can rectify ready for next season? Or is Singapore the kind of track that you have to almost sacrifice in order to get the level of performance you have on all of the other tracks? Just something I'd be interested in knowing. Would absolutely love to see Adrian Newey's notebook on this specific track and the car, to be honest with you. But yeah, I guess we will see next year if it gets a little bit better for them. Maybe there was just something this year they had to sacrifice with Singapore to get a level of performance. And maybe there will be certain upgrades, circuit-specific upgrades next year that will make it a better track for them. But it just goes to show, even when you have the most dominant car, there are still going to be some weaknesses. There are definitely going to be questions being asked in Red Bull, in those engineering meetings, about what happened in Singapore. I don't think Max was expecting the car to be that bad this week. I don't think anyone was, but during his interviews on Media Day on Thursday, he'd said that, yeah, this was going to be a difficult track, but he's still expecting them to be close to the front, just a tighter battle for pole position for P1. So yeah, some definite questions that'll probably be asked and problem solving going on there. But I do agree with what Toto said. Post-race, Red Bull should be back in form come Japan. I'll be very, very surprised if they don't manage that. Mercedes had some much better strategy calls from them today. There have been moments, many moments this season, to be honest, where I think a lot of fans have questioned what their strategies were. But I think holding back that set of medium tyres, calling their drivers in during the VSC, it seemed like a good plan. It was a calculated risk and I don't think that they were going to lose a whole load from it. They knew what they were doing. Sadly, with George, it just didn't pay off because of that crash. Maybe with an extra lap or two as well, there was the chance that both of them could have overtaken Lando Norris. Maybe a Fort Carlos for the win. I think it could have been a lot worse. I think the strategy calls this weekend felt better for me, in my opinion. Lewis taking P3 in the race and then the fastest lap as well has meant that he's moved ahead of Fernando Alonso for P3 in the Drivers' Championship. I think the commentators were saying it's been the first time since the start of the season that we've had a change in the top three in the Drivers' Championship standings. I think he's 10 points clear of Fernando Alonso at the moment and then there are 53 points between him and Sergio Perez. So that gap between him and Sergio might be a little bit too big to try and overcome, especially with the pace of the Red Bull. But I think with him and Fernando, that battle is not quite over just yet. But Lewis Hamilton has managed to pull ahead a little bit. And it's the first time he's managed to overtake Fernando Alonso in the Drivers' Championship this season. Constructors-wise, though, with George DNFing, Carlos winning the race and Charles then managing to finish in fourth place, it has meant that Ferrari are closing that gap with Mercedes. And that's something that Mercedes are going to keep an eye on because there's only about 24 points between those two teams right now. In all honesty, with Mercedes, I don't think for the rest of the season the car is going to perform as well as it has in Singapore. And that is mainly because Mercedes have said themselves this was going to be their best shot at a race win, really. Don't get me wrong, we might be pleasantly surprised. Maybe Mercedes will be pleasantly surprised. Maybe they're lying about other tracks not being that great for them. But I just think Singapore was just going to be their best track 
during this half of the season at least, so we'll just have to wait and see what happens at the rest of the tracks. Ferrari had just an absolutely amazing race with Carlos Sainz, but I think that was more down to him and his tactical sort of mind towards the end of the race than it was Ferrari. The sort of giving and taking of DRS with Lando Norris to make sure that George Russell and Lewis Hamilton couldn't pass Lando and then couldn't pass Carlos. Definitely a better car here than what I was expecting them to have, than what Ferrari were expecting themselves to have, but that's two weekends in a row now that they've had a fairly strong car. Monza was good and Singapore has been good. So I am excited to see if the rest of the season now goes quite well for them. I hope it does. I hope they're a little bit more competitive. I hope we see more battles between them, McLaren and Mercedes. It makes it so much more interesting on track when you have those close battles. But once again, like Mercedes, we will have to wait and see. For Charles Leclerc, I think just getting held up in the pit lane did not help him with that safety car and it just he struggled after that he really did by the end of the race anyway he had said his tires were going and yeah I think the Mercedes passing him with those fresh and medium tires he just he did not stand a chance hopefully though we will see a better race for him in Japan moving on to Aston Martin yeah was a nightmare of a weekend. I mean, I know I said that Red Bull had an awful weekend, but Aston Martin probably had the worst weekend out of any team. They're probably the team I feel worst for coming out of the Singapore Grand Prix. Obviously, Lance having the crash in qualifying and not being able to run during Sunday, so they only had one car running anyway, which wasn't going to help them when they're trying to battle in the Constructors' Championship with so many other teams around them right now. They just really struggled with race pace, though. I mean, Alonso turned around during the race and said the car was undrivable to his race engineer. And that's got to be one of the first times I've heard Fernando Alonso say that about the car, say anything bad about that Aston Martin car. He's been in love with it from the moment he stepped foot in it. He's spoken about how beautiful it was to drive, how much of a great job the team has done, and this is the first time I've heard him say anything even remotely bad about the car. I don't know whether this was a setup issue and they just got the balance of the car completely wrong. I don't think they were a team that bought any upgrades into Singapore. Maybe like Red Bull, it's just the car is not suited to the racetrack very well. But yeah, this was not a promising race for Aston Martin. The gap between them and P2 and the constructors is continuing to open up and the more it opens up, the harder it is going to be for Aston Martin to catch up. McLaren had a very good race from both of their drivers, actually. Obviously, Landon Norris taking home P2, but, and we didn't talk about this very much, Oscar Piastri had made up 10 places by the end of the race. Now, he ended up being booted out in Q1, a little bit of bad luck on his side after that crash from Lance Stroll meant that he couldn't finish off his fast lap but a very very good race from a rookie who's never been to the Singapore circuit before so congratulations to him and overall I think we can see those new upgrades are definitely working so looking forward to Japan and seeing whether they can keep up that pace and if Red Bull are back at the front of the pack again whether McLaren can kind of close that gap a little bit more. Alpine. Why is it always so painful for me to talk about this team, guys? 
I just, I need a race where it's a little bit more positive for both of their drivers. I feel like it's been a little while since we've had a good race for both of their drivers. At least Gasly managed to finish in the points, though. If nothing else, we had the DNF from Esteban Ocon, but at least we had some points being brought home for Alpine from Pierre Gasly. You know what? I think the most gutting thing is it wasn't an awful weekend for Alpine as a whole. Singapore actually seemed to do okay for them. It wasn't phenomenal. They went right at the top of the pack. But Esteban Ocon was comfortably in the points. I mean, he was ahead of Fernando Alonso at one point, And I thought, you know what? He's going to get a decent haul of points this race. And that's going to be great. And it just wasn't meant to be. Maybe Japan will be a better outing for Alpine. Maybe we'll see double points from Alpine, potentially. That would be very nice to see. That's what I'm hoping. Double points for Alpine. Do you know what? I just want Esteban Ocon to finish the race. I don't think I'm going to be able to cope with seeing him DNF three races in a row. Please, please just let him finish a race next weekend, please. I cannot wake up at 6am just to watch Esteban Ocon DNF again. I don't think I'm going to cope. Williams had a bit of a quieter race today compared to usual. Both James Vowles and Alex Albon have said the next couple of races for them are going to be a little bit harder for them to get into the points. Their car isn't really well suited for the next couple of circuits. Saying that, though, once again, wasn't an awful race. Unlucky for Logan Sargent with that crash. I'm glad that he did at least manage to carry on with the race, but... From the sounds of his radio message at the end of the race, I think it was more of a him fault. And I say that because obviously last time he had a crash and DNF'd, we found out it was actually because the Williams was not working very well and he wasn't able to actually turn the car and brake properly. So I had wondered for a second whether there was an issue with the Williams again, but by the end of the race, he got on the radio to his race engineer, apologised for what had happened and said, he needed to clean it up. So by that, I'm assuming he is taking blame for what happened. I could be wrong. We might hear something from James Wells later, but the sound of that radio message did make it feel like it was an issue that he had caused, basically. I know there's a little bit of pressure on him at the moment, though. He is trying to figure out his future. Williams are trying to figure out what they're doing with that second seat. He's not got the assurance of a contract next year. He knows what he has to do to get that contract sorted, to get Williams to give him a contract for next year. I think Williams have been quite open about what they want to see from him and also what they need to do to support him in making those improvements. And I think Williams have been probably one of the most supportive teams when it comes to their rookie drivers. But you know, you're still going to feel that pressure as a driver. doesn't matter how supportive your team is. You want your seat. You want to stay in Formula 1 another year. And you know you have to perform every race to prove that. So I don't know whether there is just a little bit of pressure playing on the back of Logan Sargent's mind that is causing the incident that he had today. Moving on to Haas, they actually had a really strong start at the beginning of the race. Magnussen managed to hold back Verstappen for a little while was not expecting that and he also did manage to benefit at the end of the race from George's DNF because it did promote him up into the points and he managed to bring a point home for the team. Alfa Romeo 
little bit of a mess this weekend. Was not their cleanest weekend between Shogun Yu needing that pit lane start because of changing so many components in the car, the DNF and Valtteri Bottas because of the hydraulics issue, but Guan Yu managed to go from the pit lane to P12. So even though they didn't manage to get any points, it was still a very good race, I think, from him. Alpha Tauri was a little bit of a mixed bag, obviously, with Yuki Tsunoda DNFing from the race on that first lap, but Liam Lawson managed to bring home his first ever points in F1. He took his maiden points in only his third race ever in Formula 1, and to do it at Singapore is incredible. He took two points home for AlphaTauri. AlphaTauri, who before this were only on three points, are now on five, so they are definitely a team who know that every single point counts. And at the bottom of the table, I mean, you're just trying to grab any points that you can, especially when the teams around you like Alfa Romeo aren't bringing any home at all. It's giving you a little bit more of a chance to slowly close that gap. So amazing, amazing work from Liam Lawson. Looking at Yuki though, I am praying so hard that he has a better race at his home race in Suzuka. He did not start in Monza. He couldn't even make it through the formation lap. And then this race, he couldn't even make it through the first lap. Him and Esteban Ocon right now just feel like there's some sort of bad curse over them. So I am really hoping that Japan is just a happier hunting ground for Yuki Tsunoda. Would have been great to see what he could have done, especially given that Liam Lawson ended up in the points. I would have loved to have seen if Yuki Tsunoda could have also ended up in the points, especially with the upgrades on the car. But yeah, here's to hoping that we see that car and Yuki manage to make it around all of the laps in Japan and hopefully get some points as well. For your driver of the day, you picked Carlos Sainz, and I completely and utterly agree with you guys. Beautiful, beautiful race from him. It wasn't an easy win for him by any means. He was having to think tactically. He was having to manage his pace. He was having to manage his tyres and just did a phenomenal job of it. A well-deserved victory, in my opinion, and definitely deserves driver of the day. Formula One is back next weekend and it will be a very early morning start because we are heading out to Japan. I am not a morning person, guys. I gotta be honest with you. I'm really not. I am more of a night owl. So when we have the American races, some of the ones that we have later on in the evenings, those are great for me. I can stay up for those. That's not a problem. I don't get sleepy. But I think Japan is a 6am start for the race. I'm just going to feel like a bit of a zombie. But there will still be a podcast episode at 9am on the following Tuesday. I will try and take in as much as I can in my slightly sleepy haze. I am looking forward to it though. It's going to be interesting to see if Red Bull are back in form. I'm pretty sure they will be. And to see that fight between McLaren, Mercedes and Ferrari and what Aston Martin can actually do as well as seeing that battle towards the bottom of the table and what happens there. So like I said, make sure you guys join me next Tuesday at 9am for a Japanese Grand Prix review. Thank you guys so much for listening and Yolchem Var. Make sure you follow me on TikTok and on Instagram at stewards underscore office where I post a load of F1 content every day. 
and I will see you guys the next time you are summoned to the steward's office.